And all of God's people said, praise you, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness. Amen. Back in the 70s, there was a discussion or a debate, really, among evangelical leaders. I was a young Christian at the time, young, young pastor. Uh, this was in California, and there was a, the debate was not… It was very friendly because all of the people there are really people I love on both sides of the argument. And the subject was, has the supernatural or the miracles have ceased after the disciples, after the early church? Or do God, does God still continue to perform miracles today? Amen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's my position too. But I was not one of the big shots participating. Uh, you know, I, I fear God to actually make a statement like this because God can do anything He wants to do. He's God, right? But then my mentor and a very dear friend, the late John Stott of England, he got up and he was trying to kind of bring a steady approach to all of this. And he said, you know, let me show you historically how in Bible history that there were certain times in which uh, the supernatural activities has been intensified. And he began to walk through the history of the Bible. He said there was an intensity or intensifying of the work of the supernatural back in the days of the Exodus as people of God coming out of Egypt. Uh, that was so clear. And then he went on to talk about why it was the, during the time of the prophets Elijah and Elisha, there was an intensifying of the work of the supernatural become visible to the world. And then the exile time with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he made a statement those many years ago that I consider to be prophetic. He said, the time may come when we in Christendom, referring to the, our, our, the West, where this, we face a spiritual darkness in which we can anticipate again the work of the supernatural to be apparent and obvious and working. I don't think he knew this. I know he's in heaven now, but he probably knows this, how prophetic that was because we are coming into the dark ages. We're coming into the spiritual darkness that we are entering in those 30-plus years ago uh, we're talking about. And therefore, what I want to do is to encourage the people of God, whether you're listening to me here or watching around the world, I want to encourage the people of God to begin to think and walk and living in the supernatural, not in the natural. Um, I want to appeal to all of those who love Jesus, who know the Lord Jesus, to live in the realm of the supernatural, which has become a world which has become so natural, and nature worship has become so intensified in the media, in Hollywood, and all over us around the culture. I want you to think, not just how do we survive in this spiritual darkness, but how do we thrive in this spiritual darkness? 
in a world that secular materialism has dominated and is dominating every day? How do we live by faith in a a quicksand of anti-biblical culture and becoming anti-biblical every day? I know this question for me personally has has really kind of uh, uh, accompanied me since I became a believer. So it's something I've been wrestling with for over half a century. Those who have been listening to me through the years know that I have been predicting this anti-Christian environment and the rise of it 30-plus years ago. I wish to God that I was wrong then, and I wish to God that I'm wrong now. So much so that so many Christian leaders who have seen that because they can't beat them, so they're joining them. Instead of standing up against the current of culture, they're swimming with it. Now, beloved, this has deteriorated so much that even some believers do not know what it is like to live by faith in a thoroughly materialistic world. Part of my testimony, and many of you know this, is that God began in my life, and I testify to the glory of Jesus, of taking me through a training program into the supernatural, into living by faith in a faithless world, uh, walking in the supernatural and then becoming extremely materialistic world, to swim against the current of culture. And it began in Egypt in the late 60s, when God supernaturally no coincidence, no this, no It was absolutely a supernatural intervention of God. I look back 50 years ago, and I can see it. I testified for all those 50 years. It was a supernatural hand of God that saved me from a certain death. And those of you who have read my book, Trust and Obey, you've read the stories. That was the beginning. To be sure, it was a giant leap of faith. To be sure, it was something that is so drastic that I still look back to even today. But then, other process, smaller steps, smaller evidence, smaller directions. Uh, It's one thing to experience one time a leap of faith, and then you kind of go back and live in the natural, and it's another to daily walk in the supernatural. One part of my testimony that is relevant to the message of today happened back in 1970s in California. After I finished one year of my graduate studies, we ran completely out of money. And when I say we ran completely out of money, I mean we ran completely out of money. When people say we run out of money, meaning they've got some assets they can sell. We had nothing to sell. <laughs> I mean, we really ran out of money. I had $50 in my checking account. That was it. That was the total net worth, <laughs> $50. The truth is that $50 was my monthly tithe as 10% of what I was earning at the time. And so I prayed, and I thought, well, instead of putting the tithe check in the offering plate on Sunday, I'll send it by mail. 
You see, back then, the mail would take at least a week. <laughs> Figuring that somehow, in that week, God is going to answer my prayer. So we used all of our savings. We had no church support behind us. We had no missionary group supporting us. We had no friends who were supporting us. We had no one that is no one but God. And the Lord was beginning to teach me again. And he kept bringing to mind Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I know in the NIV in your Bibles it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, the old translation that I grew up with and that I kind of memorized put it this way. Let your moderation be known to men and your needs known to God. I know a lot of people reverse this. They let their moderation known to God and their needs known to everybody else. In the depth of my understanding of the passage at the time, rightly or wrongly, you can, write, you can say I was wrong and that's fine. But rightly or wrongly, I understood this to mean to me personally, that I should not ask anyone for help except God. Now, I'm not asking you to do this. I'm telling you this is just my personal conviction. Take it and do with it whatever you will. I told no one of the dire situation we were in. I didn't tell my wife of the situation. Again, don't get me wrong, I could have easily rationalized telling others, asking some people to help us, but I didn't. Again, that's just me. You don't have to take this for you. Had I done that, I would have missed out on decades of learning to walk in the supernatural. My faith walk would have not been the same as it is today. I knew in my heart God was testing me. I knew that. It was, it was very clear to me personally. And things got even bleaker and bleaker and bleaker, but I kept on holding on to God's promises. I kept on holding on to God's promises. Without prolonging this, I get to the bottom line. By the end of that week, I walked into my box in the post office of the school where I was, and I opened it, and there was a thick envelope with enough cash in it to last us until we accepted a full-time position in Atlanta, Georgia. Every bit of it, God used it to take us through. And the note simply said, God laid this amount of money on our hearts. Very simple note. You say, Michael, why are you telling us this? Because on that day, God molded me into the person that I am at 71. At that time, God molded my preaching for the past 46 years in the ordained ministry because that God used this to mold my teaching for those several decades. And that is why I'm doing today the series of messages entitled, it is supernatural. Can you say it with me? 
It is supernatural. And the more we see our world being eclipsed into the natural realm, into natural paganism, and I don't know if you are watching and seeing what I'm watching and seeing, that now nature worship has eclipsed our society and sadly some churches. And the more desperate our need is to cling to the supernatural as we see our world plunging into the natural. Even the true children of God, they must and we must, we have no choice but to wake up to that fact. And you notice I said true children of God? True children of God, because there's so many people claim to be Christians, followers of Jesus, and all that stuff. God bless them. I mean, goodness gracious, even Nancy Pelosi is now quoting a scripture. <laughs> it's, more, it's more like shredding the scripture, but that's okay. I'm going to move on. My beloved, beloved, beloved friends, let me tell you that the line of demarcation between the true believers in Jesus and the non-believers is now becoming clear, more than ever. And that is why I felt to do this series of six messages on the supernatural, to prepare us as the body of Christ, as the believers in this light in this dark world, to be a light and to be a witness to the power of our God. There are many reasons why I'm doing this series now. Because the events and the period of time I will be talking about here in the next six messages, it was a time in the Old Testament where paganism, and natural worshiping of the natural God and the gods of nature has overcome God's people. Oh, they worshiped Yahweh on Saturday, but for the rest of the week, they were bowing to Baal and Ashtoreth and Ashtar and all the gods of nature. Elijah, the prophet, in the midst of this darkness, uh, in an earlier period of time than the time I'm going to be talking about, challenged the prophets of Baal and the nature worshipers of wicked King Ahab and wicked evil Queen Jezebel, and he challenged them on the Mount Carmel, and there God performed a supernatural act in front of their own eyes. But as soon as that act and supernatural act of God became memory, hazy memory in their minds, the quicker they went back to nature worship and compromise. At that point of history, God raised up the prophet Elisha to teach his remnant, his faithful believers within all of Israel, because not all of Israel was faithful, just the faithful remnant, that it is supernatural. So I want you to turn with me, please, to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. In the Pew Bible, it's page 574. And this is going to be the first of at least six different lessons 
that we're going to learn from the prophet Elisha, who was ministering in a spiritually dark time similar to ours. As you know, David Nicholas does a fantastic job every week reading the Scripture, does so well. But throughout this short series, I want you to read the Scripture. I want the Word of God to seep deep into your mind and heart. Uh, I want you to be remembering it throughout the week, and I want you to reflect on it throughout the week. So I'm going to ask you to stand up and read the Scripture. I want you to read it. I am not reading it. You are going to read it. So we start here. Go. Father God, remind us today that you are yesterday, today, and forever, that the God of Elisha is our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. We are so distracted. I'm talking about we, including your pastor. We are so distracted by so many things today. So much so that we seldom take the time to reflect on the promises of God. And that's why actually when I wrote the book, uh, which came out of a series, you know, Counting Stars in an Empty Sky, it was, I, I added more than I did in the preaching because I wanted God's people to understand the difference between the promises of God that are conditional and the promises that are not conditional and they distinguish between those two. We do not want to know the conditions. And I'm saying we, just subconsciously all of us. We don't want to know what the required conditions of meeting the promises of God are. Ah, but when we get into trouble, when we get into a bind, when we get into a desperate situation, when we need God to answer some prayers, we start pulling all the levers, <laughs> hoping that one of them will work. Now, as I said, this is the first of six in the teaching. It is supernatural. And here you find a woman, a widow, 
And a few weeks ago, if you remember, Johnny was teaching on uh, uh, what widows are in biblical times, and they really were at the bottom in every way financially. They were at the bottom of uh, socially. They were at the bottom, period. And this widow had less than nothing. Uh, filing for bankruptcy would have been an absolute wonderful thing for her to do. <laughs> But she couldn't. They did not have bankruptcy laws back then. Uh, at least the court would have protected her from her creditors. But this was worse than bankruptcy. Some of you may have looked down the road of bankruptcy or have, or have filed for bankruptcy. This would be wonderful for this lady. This woman was facing shame and degradation and slavery. This woman had nothing to look forward to but servitude for her and her sons. And then she remembered the promises of God. She remembered the promise of God. What is these promises? Well, one of them is when the Holy Spirit inspired King David to write the following words. I have been young, now I'm old. I have never, can you say never with me? Seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. Let me tell you something as an aside, okay? This is kind of a freebie on the house. As an aside, there is no one at the sound of my voice, whether here or watching around the world, has ever reached that bottom, that type of bottom. Um, no matter how bad things are for you, no one could have experienced this kind of bottom. But nonetheless, I know, have pastored for three continents and have experienced things, I know that there are some people here at the sound of my voice may be feeling that they are at their wit's end. There are some who may be feeling that they have reached their bottom. There may be some heroes feeling that they are at the end of their rope. There may be someone here who's feeling that they're facing some hopeless situation. There may be someone here who could be living in the land of impossible, and they don't know where to look and where to go. Uh, some of you may be ready even to give up, or some already may have given up. Stay tuned and learn from this widow. Here we see this dear lady at the bottom of degradation. But she did three things. And if you're writing, write them down. She did three things. I pray to God that those will come to you and to your memory all the time. First of all, she meets the conditions of the promise of God. And secondly, she manifests evidence in the provision of God. Uh, she manifests confidence in the provision of God. She manifests confidence in the provision of God. Thirdly, she maximized her capacity to receive the blessing of God. Let's look at this very quickly. They're not going to take a long time at all, so stay with me. Stay tuned. First of all, she meets the condition for receiving the supernatural promises of God. Look at verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 4. She said to Elijah, 
that her late husband, that is the head of the household, and in an Old Testament context and culture, he is the leader of the home. The head of the household had been faithful to God. <coughs> Her husband led the family into serving and obeying God. Her late husband spent his lifetime pleasing the Lord. Hear me right, please. It's very important. You and I, I know a whole lot of people who want to receive the blessing of God without meeting the conditions of some of those blessings. There are a whole lot of people who want God to answer them when they have need. There are a whole lot of people who seek to manipulate God in order to get Him to see things their way. Actually, somebody told me this many years ago. I just, if God sees it my way, I'll be in business. I said, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> I saw a quote recently that made me really honestly want to sit there and cry. It was a quote from in the social media. It went something like this. God governs the universe, but our prayers govern God. I want to burst into Greek and say, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. The presumption on God's grace has reached a new low in the 21st century. We have become so confused that we have enthroned ourselves above God. Uh, we have placed ourselves in authority over God, and God has no choice but to obey us. Now, my beloved friends, our most desperate need today I've been saying this, and I'm going to say it till the day the Lord takes me home unless something changes. Our most desperate need today is to restore our sense of awe and wonder of our God, to restore our sense of humbling ourselves before God, because it is that restoration that will cause us to say with John the Baptist, He must increase, and I must decrease. This godly woman placed her faith, not in her good works. She did not even base her faith on the faithfulness of her husband. But she placed her faith squarely in the God who keeps His promises. She placed her faith in the God who is no one's debtor. She believed that God not only meets her needs, and the needs of all His faithful children, but He meets the needs of their children's children. Can I get an amen? amen? And so she meets the condition. She meets the condition of the promises of God. Secondly, she manifests confidence in God's provision. Look at verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. The prophet Elisha asked her the question, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? First she said, nothing. It's the construction of the original language. First she said, nothing. And then she kind of caught herself and said, well, <laughs> a drop of oil in a jar. 
But that's nothing, right? I mean, I mean, nothing in comparison to her desperate need, and we all have to agree with her. But she even wanted to offer what she thought to be nothing to God. Beloved, we need to understand that God always starts with what we have. God always starts with what we have. She could have said, you know, what I have is really nothing. Uh, That's okay. God can work with nothing. What I have is so insignificant in comparison to my needs. But that's okay. God used Moses' stick to part the Red Sea. And he used the little boy's lunch to feed 5,000 plus people. Can I get an amen? See, we don't think that way anymore. So he said to her, what do you have in your house? Because there is where God wants to start. Why? Because God blesses faithfulness. Uh, God wants to give much, and I'm not just talking about material things, I'm talking about everything, to the faithful. God wants to send abundant provision to the faithful. God is looking for conduits. God is looking for channels, not dead ends. God wants to bless the cheerful giver. And so Elijah said to her, what do you have in your house? A drop of oil at the bottom of a jar. Probably if you lift it up to the sun, you could hardly see it. It's just a drop of oil. Elijah probably was saying to himself, I know, don't go try to find it in the Bible. It's not there. Great. We've got an oil factory in our hands. We've got an oil factory with God in it. Why? Because when God is in something, you may see the little, He sees the great. Beloved, ask yourself the question, am I faithful with what I have? (laughs) Ask yourself, am I faithful with my tithing and offering? Listen, I have no, I've had the privilege of knowing people all across the board, all across the board, who were abundantly blessed of God in more ways than I can even count, not just financially, but in every way. They all had one thing in common, one thing in common. They've started with the tithe, but never stopped there. They kept going. I tell people that if you want to bench 200 pounds, you don't start with 200 pounds. Hello. And for my British uh, viewers, uh, I'm not talking about British pounds. I'm talking about weights. (laughs) You start with 20, and then you build up to it. And so, honoring God with what you have, you've got to start somewhere. Back in 2003, I was preaching in the city of Geelong, outside of Melbourne, Australia, not far from Melbourne. 2003, just remember that. We had just began 
um, growing, and we were several hundred radio stations, and, and we're kind of struggling to keep things going, and we did not know whether uh, Australia leading the way is really going to make it or not, and, and I invested so much of my time. I've been there many times, and, and every we get invited to a city, I would go, and, and after I preached in Geelong, and I was greeting people at the end. There was a big radio rally there, and a, a young 10-year-old boy, his name is David. I have never forgotten him. I never will. He came down the line, and he shyly pressed a $10 bill in my hand. And you can see they're kind of a bit embarrassed with pressing $10 bill. I literally went down on one knee so I can look him in the face, and I said, what is this, David? He said, well, I, listened, I heard on the radio that you're coming to our town to preach, and I, wanted, I saved my monthly allowance to help you preach the gospel around the world. And I said to him, I said, David, God is not only going to bless this $10. He's going to bless you. And beloved, let me tell you something. We were struggling at that time to make $150,000 annual budget in leading the way Australia. This year, they closed the books on over $3 million. And I'm telling you, God blessed that $10. What do you have in your house? Are you keeping God tithes and offering in your house? Are you keeping the gift of time that God has given you in your house? Have you kept the, treasure, the, the, the talent and the gifts that He has given you, your spiritual gift and your natural talents that He's given you? Are you keeping that in your house? This widow could have thought, well, it's even embarrassing to tell him about the drop of oil in the jar. I better say nothing, for it is nothing in comparison to what you need. Oh, it was insignificant in relationship to her desperation. But she offered the little that she had, and that was a huge step of faith in watching the supernatural. She met the condition of the promises of God. She manifests confidence in the provision of God, and thirdly, she maximized her capacity to receive from God. Beloved, this widow, in obedience to the Word of God, through the prophet Elisha, went and borrowed all the jars that she can borrow from all of her neighbors, all the jars that she can get her hands on. She, ex she expanded her capacity to receive from God. She maximized her capacity to receive from God. Let me ask you a question. Please answer it to yourself. Can we limit our capacity to receive from God? My answer is yes. Can we narrow our vision so much that we limit what God wants to do? in us and through us? Yes. Can we place boundaries on God's desire to use you and you and you and you and you and you? And you? 
Yes. One time I saw a caption, I was overseas and got into this head office of a, of a mission, and they had a, a poster stamp on that board, and, and, and this is big board, but poster stamp, and the caption says, God, I would have you perform miracles inside this stamp. That's how we know the vision. Someone said that when we go to heaven, we are going to see so many blessings that went unclaimed by God's people. Beloved, it's not by accident that oil in the Old Testament is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It is not by accident that the woman had a drop of oil in the jar of oil. Oil was not only used for cooking, but it was also used for the anointing of prophets, priests, and kings. Oil was a symbol of God's blessings, of God's power, and God's unction. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21 and 22, it was the Holy Spirit's anointing that gave him authority. The Lord Jesus said to the disciples in Luke 24, 49, He said, wait until the Holy Spirit anoints you. Even the divine Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, did not begin His earthly ministry until the Holy Spirit gave Him the unction in the beginning of His public ministry. This anointing of the Holy Spirit, beloved, are you listening to me say amen? amen. This anointing of the Holy Spirit is conditional upon being filled of the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's the longing of my heart. It's the longing of my heart. Beloved, you cannot receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit when you are constantly grieving the Holy Spirit, when you are constantly quenching the Holy Spirit. You cannot exercise the power of the Holy Spirit in your life when you are living in continuous disobedience. You cannot experience the overwhelming blessing of the Holy Spirit until you have yielded to the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen. Elisha said to the woman, here's a Yusuf translation, here it comes, don't be chinchy. <laughs> don't be chinchy. It's, it's actually a more accurate translation. I get it in the vernacular. Don't be chinchy. Expand your capacity to receive. Do not just be contented with few jars. Do not have such low expectation of what God can do in you and through you. Do not have a dim vision of what God wants to do in you and through you. In other words, don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle for mediocrity. And that is why the moment you ran out of jars, the oil stopped pouring. Beloved, God will only bless you to the capacity that you make available to Him. You see, God will fill only the empty spaces in your life that you offer Him. 
God will use and bless what you give Him to use and bless. God's blessing will take the shape and the size of your container. Let me ask you this as I come close to the end. Has the Holy Spirit of God stopped being poured into your life? Has the Holy Spirit of God been hindered from being poured into your life? Have you stopped offering Him empty spaces so that He can fill it? Think about this. Think about this. She had a drop of oil in the jar, and yet Elisha told her to go and borrow multi-gallon containers and vessels. Beloved, listen to me. I know this, and I know this, and you know this. From the world's perspective, from the natural world, this does not make sense. From the natural, the supernatural never makes sense. From Wall Street's point of view, this is silly talk. Ah, but from God's perspective, it makes sense to God. Indeed, it brings glory to Him. And that's what we should be all about in these last days. Listen to me. The promises of God are not conditional on the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the NASDAQ. They're not. They are conditional on your faithfulness and my faithfulness, your faithfulness, my faithfulness. They are conditional on our capacity to receive from His hand. They're conditional on emptying ourselves of ourselves so that we be filled more of God. General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was in his 80s at this time. And an American, and I can see why only an American would ask a question like this, he said to him, being an understated British Englishman, and this American asked him, he said, what is the secret of your success? And he winced, and he, and he kind of stuttered for a little bit, and then he said, well, if you put it this way, he said, if there is such thing, it's because God has had all there is of me. God has had all that was of me. Can you say that? Can I say that? I pray to God that we can today. Will you bow your heads with me, please? I don't know. Literally, at this very moment as I'm standing here, the Holy Spirit is convicting me to give an opportunity for anyone who wants to stand up and pray with me and say, Michael, I have been giving God so little containers to fill. My life has been filled with me and my circumstances, and I long to start 
be filled of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you, don't put it off. This is not for me. This is not for the church. This is not for it. We're standing up. It's going to be for you. It's between you and God. Only He knows. Only He sees. And only He can bless. Michael, I, 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 I've been so busy with the world's affairs that I have really given God very little of my time. I want God. I want the Holy Spirit to start filling me on a daily basis, moment by moment basis. Just stand up where you are, and I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray for me, and we're going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for each other. It's the longing of my heart on a daily basis for God, the Holy Spirit, to keep on filling me. And if it is your desire, please stand up and let me pray with you right now. I can see those people in the balcony and right here. I can see you. Heaven can see you. That's really what matters. Lord God, you said my word will not return to me void. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to all of us, but then convicting some to stand up and to make that kind of commitment. I pray that this date of September 8, 2019, be marked in their calendar, in their hearts. It's a moment they sought to be filled, all of you, and little if none of us. And Lord, I pray the same for me, for we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Stand up and sing with us.